Hey, everybody, and welcome. This is the last lesson in our series, Lessons from Little Known Women of the World. And I'm focusing this week on how we can make an impact on our world by living in strength, just the way those little known women of the world did. So we're going to talk about how to overcome our weaknesses so that any given moment of our day, of our week, we are ready to answer the call that God has for us for that day, whether it's reaching out in kindness and goodness or doing something bold and daring. We want to be ready. So we are going to take a look back at our little-known women uh, from the Old Testament, and we're going to see that these were women of courage and bravery and boldness and quick thinking. They were thoughtful. They were problem solvers, and they were women of action. We have talked uh, during this series about the community of support who may have encouraged them in their journey. And we realized that while we saw them in a moment of time, in, in a decisive action, in a decision that actually got them listed in the Word of God, we know that they each had a backstory. They had a journey that led them to this point. And that journey would have consisted of successes and failures, strengths and weaknesses, emotional highs and lows, spiritual fits and starts. See, just the way our journey folds out before us. But what we can surmise is that at some point, they had to have had a reckoning within themselves so that their own personal path intersected with God's plan. And they stepped into that plan and moved step by step with the Creator God to change their world and even the world. So to review, let's go back and visit them. The midwives, Shifra and Pua, set aside fear and intimidation and defied the law of Pharaoh in order to save baby boys from death. And then there was Abigail, who acted wisely in spite of being married to a fool. And then there was Jehoshaphat, who left her pagan faith to walk with the eternal God. And in the face of possible execution... She spared the the life of a king, and he be, he became he was a little baby, but he became the king of Judah, and she played the a major role in in that happening. And then there was Huldah, who used her gift of prophecy, and she was ready with a bold answer when the emissaries of the king asked her to tell them what the message was from finding the hidden word of God that had been in the temple and had not been used in decades. And so she became bold and told uh, the king that this was a warning from God, that they must act. And as as a result, it led to reformation in, in Judah. And then there are our favorite sisters, the five daughters who came together with their varied differences and personalities and went before Moses, the leaders of Israel and all the people to claim their rightful inheritance and thereby changing the law of Israel. These were ordinary women. They were working women. They were women of all kinds of backgrounds from all kinds of families and would have quite nicely reflected the women that I teach every week. Women with different, and get this list that I'm going to say because I'm going to refer to it repeatedly in this lesson. Women with different values and character and personalities and habits and emotions and spiritual lives. And each one had a personal struggle with each of those just as we do. So uh, we are going to look at the personality of these little known women of the Old Testament in, in just a few minutes, but we're first of all going to look at your own personality. <clears throat> so I want you to um, take a look at your handouts uh, that, um, that you, you should have if you're following along with this series. If you don't have this, please let me know, and I will be happy 
to uh, send that to you, but it's the personality assessment, and you will see that there is a handout called The Power of Your Personality. And you will see that each personality has specific traits. And so we're just briefly going to go over those. The sanguine personality has a desire to have fun. Uh, they have the emotional needs of wanting approval and attention and affection. And they control by their charm and their humor. And they are light and humorous and, and cheerful. And uh, then uh, they, they oh, I say they can talk to anybody about anything at any time. They are the talkers in our lives. And then just a quick overview of the choleric. The choleric's basic desire in life is to be in charge. Their emotional needs are loyalty. They need a sense of control. They need appreciation. And they need credit for their work. They control others by... Uh, through threats or intimidation or using their loud voice. <laughs> and then um, they present themselves as authoritative figures and are very convincing. Um, we, we know that they have the highest energy level of all of the personalities and we call them the worker. They're always doing. And then let's take a quick look at the melancholy personality. Uh, their basic de desire in life is perfection. Perfection in their world of themselves and of uh, others. It, their emotional needs are sensitivity, uh, this need for support and their own space and silence. Uh, they control others by threats of moods. If you don't so-and-so, then I will probably go into a whatever mood or I'll cry or um, you're not going to like what you see, or whatever. That's how they control others. Uh, they uh, are very accurate with facts, and they're really sincere at heart. And so they also are very much into details, and they like to uh, have calendars. They like to have lists. And so they um, are more on the introverted side and very task-oriented. And then a quick look at the phlegmatic. Uh, their basic desire in life is to have peace, peace in their world. Uh, their emotional needs are peace and quiet, a feeling of, uh, of worth, self-worth, uh, no stress, and they need respect from others. They control by procrastination. If they waited out long enough, somebody else is going to do the work. <laughs> uh, they are quite believable. Um, they resist a lot of hype. They just want calm and peace. They are the peacemakers in your life, and they are the ones that will bring people together. Uh, we also call them chameleons because they can fit into any group and adjust and adapt very quickly. So that is just a quick overview of the uh, personalities. And, and then today we're going to focus more on our strengths and our weaknesses and moving those weaknesses into a strength. So I want us to look at the progress we're making in moving toward our strengths. So I want you to take a moment just to reflect on your own strengths and weaknesses. So you should have completed your personality profile, and you're going to have a sheet that is headed personality scoring sheet. And I want you to take a look at your personality and your strengths and your weaknesses. So think about that, and you may need to pause this and have your moment to think about your strengths and your weaknesses. And then uh, we're going to move into just the area of weaknesses. So let's do that. Let's now look at your weaknesses. And I'm going to have you to write something on your handout. I want you to focus on each of your weaknesses in your primary personality. If you have time to go and 
to the secondary personality while we're doing this lesson, do so. But if you don't, uh, you can come back and do that later because this is going to be the, the focus today is to do as these little known women in the Bible must have done at some point in their life. They must have done some self-reflection and have decided had decided they were not going to live in the way of the weakness. They were going to turn those into strengths. So that's what we're focusing on. So I want you to determine the trajectory of your progress with your weaknesses. So pick a weakness. So uh, for example, I am a choleric. Um, I have in the past have had issues with bossiness. <laughs> Some of you who know me may think I still do. But, however, I'm going to reflect on bossiness. And I'm going to determine the trajectory of my progress with Sorry, that weakness. I'm trouble hearing you. Sorry, could you say... So, I am going to put one of two arrows next to that word bossy. If I am headed in a positive direction with that weakness, I'm going to put an arrow that is going to the right. It means I'm aware of it, and I am really working hard to overcome it. I'm making progress. On the other hand, if I'm still very much in the middle of that weakness, and I see it showing up, and I am either ignoring it or in denial about it or flagrantly using it, I am going to point my arrow to the left. So notice I did not give a third option. There is not a sort of. It's either I'm moving in the positive direction or I am not. And so um, that tells us whether or not we are moving toward transformation. And so what we want to do is to do that for each of the, the areas of weakness. So I want you to press pause on this podcast and take a few minutes to do that. Notice where the arrows are going. All right, so now we're back together and I want you to begin to think about what you notice about those areas where you are still living in weakness and what your intentions are toward each of these. So I've studied the personalities for decades. I began this study when my uh, sons uh, were very young and my sons now are 40 and, or wait, goodness, 40 and 36. And so I, I started when they were young, noticing personality traits. But it has been over the last 10 years that I have been teaching the personalities. And with each time I, he, I teach, and I teach it often to the same group of people, I, my goal is to hear of great progress and growth. That's the goal for anything. Once we are aware and we learn about something, a weakness, our goal is to improve. And so I don't always hear that. Sometimes I hear that people have made a great transformation and other times um, people seem to be coming up with the same, living in the same weaknesses. And what we often do is we laugh them off and say, oh, that's just the way I am. And we give ourselves a pass and we uh, begin to think of ourselves of that that's who we are. And we begin to look at this page on the scoring sheet and just accept it, that those are my weaknesses. But I want us to begin to think differently about the sheet that is before you, the scoring sheet. If you have taken this multiple times and you are fully aware of your weaknesses, then our goal is to begin to mark those off. Let me say that they're always going to be your potential area for weakness because this is your personality. So my personality is a choleric. And although I am really working hard to overcome my areas of weakness, those are my go-to places. Those are my triggers. That is the area of, of failing for me. That's the area where I will fall because that is who I am. That's how my personality operates. But my goal is to know that I've checked that I have a tendency to be bossy and to know what to do in 
when opportunities arise for me to go into a bossy fit. And so that, that is the key, to recognize it and then adjust and move it into a strength and do what I've been practicing for a long time and what I've been teaching. And many of you can say this with me, you press, pause, and pray. And then you respond instead of react. And so that's what I've been practicing. And and I began to think about the lives of those little-known women of the Old Testament. And I began to wonder at what point they quit giving themselves a pass. I began to wonder when they quit making excuses for themselves and themselves and when they quit resisting change. Um, I wondered when they actually faced down their weaknesses in order to be transformed. And that is our goal in Christ, isn't it? To face down the weaknesses and transform them. So I've spent a long time now thinking and praying about wisdom and insight into the transformation process And I have been very curious about how this is working out in the lives of other women. And so I began to have conversations with people, uh, especially with women, um, to see what their journey has been like uh, when it comes to living in weaknesses and moving those to a a positive and transformation. And these conversations have shed light on the entire transformation process. And in each case, there came a time in the life of the person when each one said something like this, I'm just not going to live this way anymore. I don't want to be that person. That's been a common thread in conversations. And often there was a precipitating event or an inciting event or a circumstance that revealed truth to this person and and caused this person to take stock of their life. And so this is called self-reflection. And that is the word or the hyphenated word that has come to me over and over in preparation for this lesson and in thinking about people living in weaknesses over and over for years, for decades. It's the fact that evidently there has not been much self-reflection because usually self-reflection leads to truth and then truth leads us to transforming our lives. And so it begins by understanding who we are and self-reflection. And here's what the Bible says about that. I find it in 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right. What is right? You could write next to that word, what is my strength? For the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Let's look at, that was the New Living Translation. Let's look at other translations of that. Or um, I think I have the NET Bible. Be conscientious about how you live and what you teach. Persevere in this. Because by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. See, somebody's always listening. Somebody's always watching. We're always teaching somebody something. Here's another version. It's found in the New Heart Bible, and it says, pay attention to yourself. (laughs) Pay attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Other versions say, take heed. Focus on your life. Watch yourself. Be on your guard as to yourself. See, each one of those just speaks volumes about what we are to do to examine and to take stock of ourselves. This time of self-reflection and deep thinking and of personal conviction. See, that's also what, what 
what it is. This, for the, the women that I have spoken to, is what has led them out of their weakness into their strengths and brought about transformation along with prayer and seeking God's wisdom in their life. That's a part of the transformation. It, it must be a part of transformation in the life of a follower of Christ. So our focus today is on moving forward from those weaknesses that we all have. And I want to remind you that um, I don't want to completely get stuck on personality uh, weaknesses because there are others. Our values could be out of alignment with biblical values. And that is, it could be an area of weakness. Our character, we may have character flaws that we need to address as a weakness. And then personalities and our habits, our habits, what we're thinking about and what we're repeatedly doing or saying. Our emotions could be out of alignment with uh, godly principles. And that really is addressed very clearly in the personality area. And then our spiritual lives may be out of alignment. That may be where our weakness is in our spiritual life. So do you see that whole package covers weaknesses in our lives that we want to examine? Well, these weaknesses, when continued, indicate that something has a hold of us. Something's got a hold of us. And what we then begin to ask, has it become a sin? If it has, that is what is leading us away for the path that Christ has for us. Well, let's now look at those little known women of the world and their personalities. Now, we don't know very much about these women. So I'm making some subjective conjectures, and I'm combining that with observations of their behaviors that I have read on the pages of Scripture. So we know that each acted with a strength of their personality, character, habits, emotions, and spiritual lives in the event we read about because we know what had happened. Evidently, at some point, they had come to some kind of understanding within. They had a coming to themselves, and they had a moving forward of some sort. But I want for a moment to imagine that they had not done that and that they were still in a state of weakness and in a spiral of emotions and habits and character flaws. And so I want to begin by, first of all, thinking of our obvious Abigail. I have labeled her as a sanguine. She's the party girl. She is the one who was the, the hostess with the mostess. Uh, she was charming. She was beautiful. She uh, was uh, had that uh, magnetic personality. And I think she was also probably a choleric. Now, then let's go to Jehoshaphat. Um, I thought of her from many different angles, and I've settled on choleric. Because choleric is the one who acts quickly. They think quickly. They have a high energy level. When they process information, it processes quickly. And so in the moment of crisis, a choleric jumps into action. And that is what Jehoshaphat did. Uh, when she uh, was aware that the queen was killing off the entire lineage uh, and, and all of the, the babies um, were being killed. And so she, was, she then was able to act quickly because that's how she operates. That's how her mind operates quickly. And then there was Huldah, who was our prophetess, and she uh, was called upon to talk about the Holy Scriptures and to determine if it was the Word of God and what the message from God was. And so she was the melancholy. That means she's a deep thinker. And she began to think and process uh, what she had read. And then she acted in a positive, proactive manner and spoke with precision about what this meant in finding the Word of God. And then there is Shifra and Pua. 
And I'm calling this pick two because we get to pick which two personalities. Well, or maybe I'm thinking of lunch at Panera Bread. I don't know where we'd love to pick two. But anyway, I am picking phlegmatic and phlegmatic. So I might be doing double soup that day or whatever. I wanted to see about the life of two peacemakers, two who didn't want a lot of conflict, but spoke and acted with great conviction. And that would have been a huge strength of character for these two women to have done that. Uh, So I'm thinking of them as phlegmatics. And then the five sisters. And there are five. So I'm saying they represent the glorious personality rainbow of all the personalities, which makes their act even more miraculous. Now, so what I want to see when we go back and look at their personalities, I want us to see that each one was living in strengths. We don't know what had happened in the background and before, but in that moment, they were in their strengths, and that's how they were able to act and act boldly and act bravely. Well, what if, though, you know, I love to ask that question, what if each of them had been in a cycle, a pattern of weakness and sin? What if, now let's go back now and look at Abigail the Sanguine, had been too busy talking, planning the party, too distracted, too busy to leave home and speak to David? What if the story we read about or never even heard about was one of her making excuses? Or that she didn't need, <clears throat> or that she didn't need to uh, do anything right now because she had pressing matters ahead? Uh, what if, if we read uh, that she just didn't want to waste any time bailing out her foolish husband? Do You see, that's how it would have looked had she been living in weaknesses. And then let's look at the next one. What if Jehoshaphat had stormed through the palace, our choleric, and make, made demands <laughs> and trying to boss and control the queen and her army of killers? What if she had put on her boss in britches <laughs> and was headstrong and proud and argumentative instead of focusing on saving the king? Do you see how that could have uh, changed the course of history? What if Jehoshaphat had done that? Then Huldah. What if Huldah, who uh, is our melancholy, had decided on that day she was called upon by the king's emissaries. What if on that day she was focusing on her low self-image and she just felt too unworthy to speak truth to these men about the scriptures? What if she said this? You know, I really haven't had ample time to prepare the document. What if, instead of using concise words of prophecy, she waxed and waned on and on, which a a melancholy is apt to do? You know, sometimes we think it's just the sanguine that overtalk, but no, a melancholy will give you details. A sanguine will give you big picture and uh, but a, a melancholy is going to give you the details. What if she had gone into that mode? Melancholy, do you realize that's a mode you go into sometimes? You overtalk also because you want, you want to tell a lot of details that others may not want to hear. What if she had done that instead of speaking concisely? And then let's look at Shifra and Pua. What if Shifra and Pua had become indifferent because that is a trait of a phlegmatic, indifferent, that, oh, well, the king has come out with this order. The Pharaoh says we need to kill the baby boys, and, you know, I don't want to rock the boat because that is what a phlegmatic might do. A phlegmatic would find it easier to let other people solve the problem. Do you see how miraculous it was that those two women who might have been phlegmatic decided, no, I'm not going to be indifferent. But what if they had said, it had been real hard to get moving. You know, sometimes we have to 
push the phlegmatics to do things. What if they become fearful? That's what they can do and, and worried and indecisive. What if they just had gone back and forth with this conversation? Should we do it? Or maybe we shouldn't. No, they settled on what was right and they acted on it and they saved baby boys. But the what ifs didn't apply to these women. When their personality, emotions, character, habits, values, and spiritual lives came upon a, upon a circumstance, they were ready on the day of God's choosing. They each lived in their strengths so that on the day of God's own, cho own choosing, they chose well. See, if each day we are not choosing well in all areas of our lives, we will not choose well when the circumstances come our way. So let's turn the spotlight back on ourselves. Our questions for reflection are these. <clears throat> Am I living more in weakness of my personality, emotions, character, habits, values in spiritual lives or in the strengths? Where am I? See, that's self-reflection. And then this question, how likely am I to handle a circumstance on the day of God's choosing? Wow. You know, we each need to go through our own process of self-reflection that will lead to transformation. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, the huge turning point in my life uh, was when I went through a series of challenges with breast cancer and divorce and the death of my brother in a, a two, all these in a two-year period. Well, well prior to, to those events, um, when I was 41 years old, I outwardly manifested Christian behaviors. And so I was very active in church. I was a, a soloist. I led groups. Um, I was a, a Christian mom and wife and leader and influencer. But I was having some struggle internally. And that's often where our, our struggles are, our weaknesses. You might look at your own list of weaknesses to see some of us have internal manifestations, and some have external manifestations. Now, most of our internal will come out externally. So we want to handle them internally before they become external. But here, here's how it looked in my life. Um, I was very judgmental of people. And, and I think it was because I hadn't experienced a lot of hard times, challenging circumstances. And so I was judgmental. I did not extend grace and mercy to people with personal failings. I was bossy and impatient and argumentative. I had to be right. I still struggle with these areas, but they're not consuming me. But those events in my life humbled me. See, that's, that's an important ingredient in our transformation. Moving from pride to humility. And those events humbled me and helped me to focus more on others who were going through a similar crisis and to look at them through the eyes of love and compassion. And that changed my life especially the divorce. I was a Christian leader and active in the church and, and led what most people would consider a really charming life. It was humbling to go through a divorce. And I began to become more self-reflective over the next years and more compassionate. But when I began to teach the personalities, I had another awareness of who I am when I saw on paper my tendencies for weaknesses. They stared me in the face. And it was then that I began to make a real conscious effort to move the weaknesses into strengths. And here's another piece of this that is so important. And we're not doing a, a full focus on this today, but uh, and I've done it in the past, and I want you to consider this. When I took the spiritual gifts assessment years and years ago, 
I further learned that my areas of struggle in my personality were also areas of struggle spiritually. For the gift of mercy is a spiritual gift, and some people have that naturally. But it was low on my spiritual profile. So that, that's the next piece I put in place in my journey of transformation is to examine my spiritual gifts and what comes natural to me and what does not. And those are areas that we begin to reflect on because here is the truth I want to, to speak about is Christ reflected the strengths of all the personalities and the weaknesses of none. And Christ expects us to exhibit all of the areas of spiritual gifts Some come natural to us and some do not, but we are to reflect those. That means there are areas where we have to work harder if it's not natural, and ours all look different. I've had to work hard at overcome areas. I've had to become self-aware, and when opportunities to be bossy or over-talk or domineer present themselves, I am responsible to others and to God who created me to live in my strengths, I'm responsible to choose well. Well, in order to do that, I found scripture passages to memorize, and I think about those, and those help me each day. I have to remind myself to press pause and pray and count to 10 when I'm tempted. And these struggles continue every day, but I'm moving in the right direction. I pray that my journey reflects someone who is not an emotional roller coaster, who is living my values based on a Christian worldview, and that my habits and words and actions more often than not reflect Christ. I'm still a work in progress, but I want my trajectory of life to be moving closer to Christ than away from him. Now, do you find some similarities in my story? Uh, Do you see some areas in your life where you're moving forward and you're becoming humble about things? That's what I would hope. That's the life of transformation. You know, I can't get very far away from the lens of a teacher um, when I'm putting lessons together. So I was looking for a visual to help us understand our personality journey. And I began to think of the elements of a short story. So a short story begins with an exposition or an explanation of the situation or introduction. And I've given you this picture in the handout. So take a look at this image. And then what happens in the short story is there is an incident. It's called an inciting or causative incident where that uh, moves the character into a different direction. Then there are a series of events called the rising action. These get to the point called a climax or a turning point. And then you will notice that's the peak of the triangle. And the turning point then results in falling action until there is a resolution. And so I began to think about our faith journey including our pattern of weakness and moral failures and bad choices and emotional struggles. And I thought that is reflected in this chart. Our normal, everyday life is reflected in that first straight line you see on the page as we're marching along in the world of faith, heading toward Christ. And then there is an inciting incident, an event, a circumstance, an affront, a word, or an action of some sort that offers us an opportunity, a moment to reflect, to press pause, or to do the opposite and to step into our weakness. If we press pause and respond well in our strengths, our trajectory stays the same, moving toward Christ, living in our strengths. However, if we take the bait and we don't press pause, but we react with the weakness of personality, character, emotions, we begin the upward climb. The rising action ensues, and up, up, and away we go, changing the trajectory of our life. 
This will look like many of the examples you have experienced. You continue to live in the pit, continue to control, continue to over-talk, over-control, over-react, over-whatever your weakness is until something changes. However, if nothing changes, your new direction, trajectory, will continue in a state of weakness. You see, that line could go a long way. Often, you continue until you have this first, first, a self-awareness. A time of paying attention, keeping close watch, being conscious of self, taking heed, taking stock. And the next step is deciding that you will not continue to live this way any longer. For me, it's a matter of deciding what kind of person I want to be inside and out. Sometimes you are going to hear a still small voice that has actually always been there, but you've ignored. Sometimes another person helps you change your path. But sometimes, sometimes an event, an event, a circumstance occurs that is your climax, your turning point. See, God uses many methods to get our attention. The question is how long Will you live in an unhealthy rising action of your life? And that is dependent only on you. When we begin to see our weaknesses as sins against the Father, though, see, that's when we're more likely to lessen the line of rising action in our lives. How long has the rising action of your weakness continued? Can you think of turning points in your life where you realize you just could not continue in a certain unhealthy pattern? Because, see, once we encounter that climax, a turning point, that is not the end. It is the beginning of change. It is the beginning of transformation. If the encounter is a turning point, the falling action of the bad behavior, the bad thoughts, the bad words, the bad habits will begin to lessen. See, they start to lessen. This period of when self-reflection is when the self-reflection is at its strongest. During this period of the falling action, it can go in, in also in different directions. There, it could be a brief period where we settle down from the climax, we get over it, uh, there's that turning point, and then we return to the bad behavior. Or we realize that is it. This is the end, and I am going to surrender. So either our change is temporary, or it is pretty permanent in surrender. If surrender occurs, we decide we no longer will live in that weakness, and we give it over to God. Then the internal conflict is resolved, even though the external conflict is still present. Do you get that? Do you get that? That the internal, external conflict still there. The person that rubs you the wrong way is there. You're still involved in a, a certain kind of relationship or whatever it is, is still there. Isn't it fitting that our lives take the form of a short story? <laughs> See, what we hope and pray is that these episodes of our lives are short, very short. Our lives are a series of these short stories. And we hope and pray that each inciting event occurs that occurs in our lives, with each one, that we will quickly respond as God would have us to, so we'll not waste God's precious time as we do when we decide we're going to have a long, long, rising, unhealthy, sinful action. See, here's how we hope our chart looks. And see, if you're looking at the handout, you're going to see some little blips on the radar. Only little blips. Only little bitty ones. See, if we handle the incidents of our lives by pressing, pause, praying, and reflecting, and choosing well, they're not going to consume our lives and take away from doing the things God would have us to do. They're going to look like normal blips on an EKG instead of a high ride on a roller coaster. Let's turn to the connection between our personality journey 
and our faith journey. That is how the Holy Spirit works to perfect us. It's called sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that changes us so that our lives are increasingly conformed to the mind of Christ. John Wesley, the father of the Methodist Methodism, called this lifelong process sanctification or becoming perfected in love. See, sanctifying grace draws us toward Christian perfection, which Wesley described as a heart habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor and as having the mind of Christ and walking as he walked. Wesley took seriously Jesus' invitation to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And see, by perfection, he did not mean moral flawlessness or sinlessness. He meant perfection in the sense of maturity, maturing in the faith. He didn't mean we're going to be free from mistakes and temptation and failure. He meant that we would be on this journey toward perfect love through the grace of God. And in order to move toward this Christian perfection that we're seeing in the arrow in the chart above, in order to move toward this, we need a clear sense of who we are and where we are in relation to Christ. And I believe this happens best when we hold a mirror up to ourselves to determine whether or not we see Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13 says, And we all, with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Those who have faith in Christ are looking at Christ as through a mirror and see him, his perfect glory. And as we continue to look at him, we are progressively being transformed to be like him. And that means we're moving away from weaknesses, imperfections, moral failures, character flaws, and emotional weaknesses. Continuing to hold that mirror of, uh, uh, in front of us that is a reflection of Christ is an act of self-reflection. It's spiritual revelation. And that is to be followed by spiritual transformation. See, in that verse, we see that Paul writes that it happens one degree to another from glory to glory in the Greek language. This is not something we accomplish for ourselves through study or discipline or self-will. See, we try all those things. That may be why we still live in weaknesses. Paul insists, though, it is the Spirit of God who makes this happen in all who are in Christ Jesus. It is a process of progressive sanctification, meaning that we will become more and more like him as we are changed by the Holy Spirit over time. Just to recall a couple of biblical characters who went through this, Paul, Peter's process of self-awareness was a long time coming. Remember, he swore at the Last Supper that he was ready to go to prison and die with Jesus. But hours later, he denied the Lord three times, despite being told by Jesus that's exactly what would happen. I think Peter's self-knowledge was given a sudden, traumatic adjustment in an instant. See, there was change, transformation that came from awareness. Paul, the Apostle Paul's self-awareness went through a, a very radical transformation. He went from being an arrogant, self-righteous man bent on justifying his hatred under the name of religious zeal to becoming this humble, single-minded man with boldness. And that's when he encountered Christ and the road to Damascus. Do you see? That was his pinnacle. That was his climax. That was his turning point. And his self-awareness is clear through his writings, whether he is referring to himself as the least of the apostles or the chief of sinners. And what he says in Philippians 4.11 is, I have learned how to be 
I've learned it. Self-awareness leads to transformation and that can be learned. There is a process for learning. First of all, I've given you several, I've given you five ways to overcome those weaknesses. One is to identify it. It's said that a problem defined is half solved. And then we overcome it by the word of God. See, Christ taught that for out of the heart comes evil thoughts and plans. All that we do comes from the heart. And so overcoming that through the word of God is a reminder to learn scripture, to know it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The third is to overcome weakness by prayer. Psalm 27.14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. And see, remember the hearts where all things flow. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's the heart is the center of our character. And number four, overcome weakness by resilience. In our efforts to follow Jesus, we struggle. The attempt to overcome a weakness has its ups and downs. Sometimes we fail and fall. But the rising again over and over and fighting on is a sign of resilience. And then what I think is so important in overcoming our weakness is fellowshipping with others. We are not meant to live in isolation. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And finally, the Bible says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. I hope you found this valuable today. I hope you uh, are inspired to move from your weaknesses into your strengths and that you've been given motivation to do so, that you have been um, inspired through the word of God, through uh, testimonies, through uh, these um, examples that I have provided. I, I hope that this will be your pinnacle point, your climax, your turning point, so that the falling action can lead to resolution. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you created us uh, with a plan and a purpose, and you would have us to live in our strengths. Father, show us the way to do that. Uh, keep us inspired and encouraged and motivated. We ask that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, that you will uh, find the ways to encourage each one to do the things you would have her do. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.